Hi guys and welcome back to this week's episode of the In The Hub podcast, brought to you by Playbox Technology UK. Today we're speaking to Phil Hagar, founder and consultant at Duqua. Phil's career in the broadcasting and media industry spans over 30 years. In that time, Phil has been involved with accomplished broadcasters and excited new projects alike in Africa and across the world. He's had some pretty incredible experiences, which you'll hear a little bit more about in this podcast. Hope you enjoy. Uh, welcome to the In The Hub podcast. Uh, Phil, how are you doing this morning? How are you feeling? Feeling good. Yeah, uh, feeling happy to be here, Neil. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time out this morning. Uh, really do appreciate it. You're, you're a guest that we've wanted to get on for a little while now. Um, simply because of obviously your career and your experience and just how many things you've been involved with in this industry. <laughs> it's always good, good when we get guests on like that who've got, you know, so many different areas of expertise to draw from and, and you know, have just seen so much basically um, in the industry. So it is it really is an honour. Just before we do kind of start talking about the, the, the main kind of topics of this podcast, Phil, how did you actually get your start in the broadcasting industry? You know, where did it all kind of begin for you? Uh, some of the experiences you even alluded to just then um, yeah. make me wonder if I'm really in the traditional broadcasting industry. I've been held up at gunpoint with thousands of dollars in my suitcase. I've been tear gassed. A few years ago, I was repairing sensitive broadcast equipment, sitting on the grass on a, a remote island in the South Atlantic with two birds of prey that kill their prey with their sharp beaks, like hopping around my ankles. Where it all started, I guess about 50 years ago, uh, I decided when I was young, I wanted to be an inventor. Although I remember thinking at the time, most things have already been invented. Um, but that kind of led through school to university to uh, a degree in applied physics and electronics at university. And after that, I had to do a job. So back in about 1988, I started work for what was then the recently launched Scandinavian broadcaster TV3. It was based in a facilities company in Camden Town called Air TV. And I started off in their newsroom, editing VTs, uh, working in the gallery on the nightly news programmes. And after doing that for a while, it led to a, a role of, which was internally a promotion to maintenance engineer. And in the first few weeks, I managed to put NTV Europe off air. Uh, for a night. <laughs> yeah. Wondering whether broadcasting was the right industry for me, it was about the same time I saw adverts for, uh, we're looking for the first British astronaut. And I thought, should I try and divert my career that way? So in a late night empty studio, just imagine the um, cringingly awful Phil staring into an auto queue and recorded my video application to be the first British astronaut. <laughs> I didn't yeah. get the job, but it did teach me a valuable lesson. And that lesson was called bars to line. Mm -hmm. What it means, I hadn't switched the studio output to bars. <laughs> so there I was, me auditioning to be the astronaut, going through the building, through the MCR, down to MTV transmission, down to TV3 transmission. The next morning I came in, I was subjected to the appropriate level of mockery um yeah which involves some yeah. choice phrases from my colleagues and it literally had no connection to my decision to leave shortly afterwards uh, and then i went to the short-lived champion tv which was the home of the bsb sport channel where in the days of a square dish and five tv channels it was quite something 
didn't last long. Uh, BSB, as you may remember, if you're old enough, folded and Sky took over the sports channel. So I went back to TV3 as an MCR engineer and a technical manager on outside broadcasts with some amazing experiences. You know, technical manager at Wimbledon Tennis for them, PGA Golf in Switzerland. But every couple of weeks I had to do night shifts and it was a new dad and that was not compatible. So I joined a system integrator, a company called Drake up in Welling Garden City. Uh, and that's when I learned how TV stations were built. I mean, it, it sounds like it's out of a film, to be honest, Phil. I, I, you know, I feel like it definitely needs a documentary making about, about your experiences. Um, Actually, my kids still my kids still have a VHS of that astronaut application, which is brought out at Christmas to humiliate them. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant, mate. Um, yeah, I was going to say, have you even worked in broadcasting, really, if you haven't put a channel off air for a certain amount of time? But <laughs> I can imagine at the time that's a quite a worrying prospect, isn't it? Um, yeah, you obviously touched on some of your experiences there and, and projects that you've worked on, Phil, and I'd, I'd hate for you to kind of pick a favourite out and, and you know, um, uh, and, and do that kind of thing. But has there been a kind of highlight role or a highlight project for you uh, that particularly stands out when, when you look back? While I was at Drake... I saw another once-in-a-lifetime job advert, uh, and a few months later, it was around about 1994, my wife, my 18-month-old daughter, and I landed in the African bush to launch Zambia's first national independent radio station. It really was life-changing, living with snakes and scorpions, motorbiking uh, to work as the African sun came up over the farm that we were based on, or finding the staff bus had broken down. So I had to then go in and <laughs> present the three-hour breakfast show and much more. And the, and the context was um, Zambia had been a, like a single party state since independence with a president called Kaunda. And after Kaunda stepped down, because they were the first democratic elections, the new president decided to open up the airwaves. And so with no oversight, a 27 year old guy who'd previously just been, you know, <laughs> living and working in Welling Garden City, uh, was able to volunteer to join a Christian charity to fly to Africa to recruit and train a team of 30 amazing Zambian staff to broadcast fire a 100 kilowatt shortwave transmitter, which could reach about a dozen African countries. I mean, it's like a big toy box in a way. <laughs> we used to get listeners letters in from like the middle of Africa, Rwanda and Burundi, and right down south to Zimbabwe and South Africa, and yeah. made loads of lifelong friends. I'm still in contact with them now. And it gave us, oh, and my young family, a uh, chance to really explore um, around Africa, make some really great friends, hospitality and wildlife. And it was a bit, bit of a pose at times that we went down to the Victoria Falls that are on the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe. And imagine walking alongside the falls, you're drenched in spray. The falls are known locally as Mozio Atunya, which means the smoke that thunders. So that smoke is the, uh, is the spray drenching. And as well as the amazing view, got my little radio, turned it on. From hundreds of miles away, I could hear a programme that I'd recorded a few days earlier. It was me and my voice. That was such a, <laughs> such a posy thing to do, but such an amazing opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And sharing, I just love sharing that broadcast experience I'd got in, in the UK uh, with those lovely guys that I work with. And 25 years later, the station's still running. Uh, and I also had the, the fun of having a multi-track audio recording studio. So we would invite musicians in and say, look, you can record your album here for free. And then as long as we can use it on air, 
And we were one of the first nations to pay copyright fees in Zambia to help set up the, you know, the whole copyright industry. And so the musicians then had a mastered album that they could then take and duplicate and make money from. Yeah, oh, so, brilliant stuff, isn't it? It's, it's such worthy causes, and, and like you're saying, being able to bring that knowledge that, that you gained here, take that to obviously Zambia, um, and, and like you're saying, the, the, the station's still prospering now, isn't it? So it's it's really yeah, fantastic. it is, and I started another one. And the funny thing, Neil, when I was in Zambia, without knowing any of my childhood aspirations, they gave me a, an African name, Kulenga. Yeah. Now Kulenga means to create. Or I like to think inventor. God, that's brilliant stuff, isn't it? I'd want to be called that at home. I'd go back <laughs> to the UK and be like, this is my new name now. Um, so obviously, Phil, this, this all kind of leads up to to what you're doing currently, and, and that's Jukwa, isn't it? Is, is that pronounced right? Nearly right. And it's quite often pronounced like that, but it's really Jukwa, and it means platform in Swahili. Got you. And it's just a broadcast consulting company that I set up about 10 years ago. Uh, we do things in reasonably unusual often difficult and remote places and uh, the focus is really just on the experience that we've got in because you see in europe and the uk things are very dynamic they're really changing and sharing that broadcast experience with clients usually in africa but not exclusively and that means everything from uh, business plans behind the startup of a channel to the design of project management installation even interviewing staff sourcing the content and these days of course advising on ott platforms yes of course yeah, that's the major one at the moment isn't it and i was going to ask what is the, the kind of most common reason that, that people come to duke for your services you know is it this kind of whole moving to the cloud um finding new ways of driving down cost or, or is every project very very different for you in africa i don't think cloud is universally accepted as part of a broadcaster's tool set because stable mains power is not guaranteed, let alone an internet connection. The internet penetration is really, is growing massively. The speeds are growing and the costs are coming down, but there are reliability issues around the cloud. And I can't generalize because Africa's got 54 countries from low income to high income. They're each really, really different. But did you know in Africa, climate change impacts the cloud? And it's not some cheesy joke about weather, but um, several countries in Africa use hydropower um, for, to generate electricity. And if the weather patterns change, as they have, then it impacts rainfall, as it has done. And that means large lakes with dams haven't got the water level to generate the electricity. So that means long power cuts. And that so broadcasters spend lots of money on diesel for their generators which impacts their financials, but in the unstable, sort of unstable environment, it means that the local internet is not reliable. Um, the, another thing you ask Neil is, is it because they want to find ways to drive down cost? Well, I had one brilliant client. I had no cost concerns at all in Africa and they changed their plans. We started off doing a business plan for them to launch a single sport channel. They ended up launching a hundred channels uh, and on a platform, yeah, on a satellite platform, we're still going strong years later. And that yeah. was unusual. Uh, realistically, nine out of 10 clients are very, very sensitive to costs. And the sort of innovation that, that you know you live and breathe, and I also hope to do that, is reducing the startup costs. Like, for example, one of our customers can deliver live studio programs, let's say from Kampala in Uganda, capital city of Uganda. They can deliver their live studio programs over the internet to a play out and uplink center in Nairobi, Kenya, up to satellite, including the space segment um, in SD for about two and a half thousand dollars a month. Now, when your distribution costs this low, it means if your creativity is high, 
that they're real opportunities for new channels to launch. And I guess why our clients come to Juqua is we're open with our experience. What we don't want to do is, is sort of like palm off old tech and old ideas on Africa. And what we want to just take some of the really great stuff that we see uh, and share it with them. And we really understand what it's like on the ground, uh, uh, especially in difficult places. And we want them to succeed, really. Uh, and unless it sounds a bit cheesy, to actually love working with us. Yeah, no, 100%. That's, that's uh, very admirable. I think, yeah, it's quite easy to get caught up in the bubble of the cloud, isn't it, when you're seeing so much news um, in the UK, in the US, and and, and uh, in Europe mainly. Uh, very easy to get caught up in that whole bubble and, and move in with that. Um, but like you're saying, it's it can be so, so different uh, based on country to country um, and even area to area. Um, so, Phil, obviously, I understand it as well as running Juqua and, and, and taking in clients and doing projects. Um, at the moment, you're also studying for an MSc. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, thanks to my long suffering wife for putting up <laughs> with the fact I've had no spare time virtually in the last 20 yeah, years. I can imagine. I think broadcasting is a bit like a stool with three legs. So if like one leg is content production and another leg is the technology, the third leg, which was my wobbly leg before, was the finance. Uh, And so I thought I'd better try and improve my understanding of that because we're often doing business plans and um, long-term investment plans and things. So, yeah, I'm just coming to the end of a a master's in international business with a speciality in sub-Saharan Africa. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, it's a bit niche, but it's. uh, I'm doing it at SOAS. That's a school of Oriental and African studies at University of London. Yeah. And getting to grips with the complexities of corporate finance and minimising risk for our clients has been quite a welcome change from SMT 2110, NDI, UHD, HDR, and all the usual broadcast funds. No, that's absolutely brilliant. I, I was quite surprised, obviously, when I heard that, that it, obviously you're still striving to, to perfect every lot you're saying, that the three legs of the <laughs> stool, which is is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I, I wanted to talk again about something that you're doing in, in more in the, on the personal side. Um, obviously, I saw a little bit about M-Sale. Um, could you, you know, tell us a little bit about that organisation and, and what you guys kind of seek to achieve? msail is msail.co.uk get the plug in a couple of years ago a good friend of mine set up a charity down in cornwall to provide free sailing trips for people with multiple sclerosis um yeah i'll be honored to become one of their uh, charity trustees so we moved down here down to cornwall about five years ago as a family uh, to falmouth and did you know falmouth's got the third largest natural harbor in the world very nice can you guess what the other two are? Oh, it doesn't matter if you don't. Sydney Harbour and Rio de Janeiro and Falmouth. It's a strange threesome, isn't it, really? Blimey, yeah. And the harbour's claim bought... to fame, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And and I know you've been here, but the harbour is bordered by beautiful, like, tree-lined creeks. Yeah. So what M-Sale has been really lucky about, well, lucky or uh, our founder has, has worked hard to get generous funding for it, but it allows us to charter yachts. And we offer gentle sailing days along the coast of people with multiple sclerosis. I mean, this year, due to COVID, it's been on hold. But anyone interested can check out the website at msale.co.uk. We'd love to welcome newcomers on board. Yeah, no, I think that's an absolutely fantastic initiative. And obviously, being to Falmouth myself, uh, I didn't get to go on the water that time. It was quite short notice that we went. But it's yeah, being by the harbour, it's just fantastic views. Um, and seeing a lot of people having fun on the water as well. It was it was at a cracking time, to be honest. It was brilliant. If we just recap now, we look back uh, on obviously all your career, your experiences. 
out of all of those kind of major changes that have happened in the last 20 years in broadcasting, what do you think has been the single most influential change? Neil, as I often do, I'll look at it through an African lens, but globally, it's the impact of the internet. Like 25 years ago, when I was living on a farm, an hour outside of the capital city, I literally had to drive an hour along a dirt track to get to the nearest telephone line. So I could call, weep down the phone to my pet, my parents, my family. Oh, we really miss you. Yeah. It cost loads of money. And now I can have a live two-way video call to exactly the same place on earth for fractions of a penny. And as well as impacting broadcasting, I think the internet's impacting entire populations. A bit of uh, geopolitics. Ambia's had elections recently and they've elected a reformer president. Um, and I'm convinced this new president is it's partly due to broadcasting and partly due to the internet because it allowed Zambian citizens, especially the young people, to have a more global view of education and development. And broadcasting and the internet shone a light on the sort of things the old government got up to. So Zambians this year have voted to choose a different path forward for their country. And the internet and broadcast media play their part. And to me, that's that's really empowering. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It's easy for me to say sometimes, um, being 24 now, that I, the internet is almost all I've known, um, you know, around that kind of 2000 time, that's when it really started picking up. Um, but I can only imagine, yeah, just how much it has changed so many aspects of people's lives. And like you said, it's got so many benefits for, for, for people in countries like that. Um and like you're saying, yeah, it's just crazy to think that, that like you're saying, you have to travel down that dirt track, make it hugely expensive, hugely inconvenient phone call. Um, and now it's a chief through Zoom and, and you can see them. And yeah, and it's it's a very little latency as well, which is always handy. Um, so, Phil, a, a little bit more of a deep question now, one, uh, one more difficult question, and then I promise we'll, uh, we'll let you go. Um, in one word, what do you envision for the future of the broadcasting industry? In one word, Neil, democratisation. It's quite a long word, but Ooh. what I mean is that like the hurdles to get into traditional broadcast are getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. And, and what is broadcasting itself? It's like a larger and larger umbrella, to mix my metaphors. Yeah. Just, but just consider podcasts and their global reach. I mean, that's broadcast, isn't it? I'm not even going to go into social media. So I think as broadcast gets more and more democratised, the opportunity for creativity and storytelling just grows and grows. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic answer. Obviously, we have a lot of people say cloud, we have a lot of people say streaming, but I think that sums it up really nicely, a lot you're saying. And and the umbrella of broadcasting expanding every day, isn't it? It uh, takes on a new meaning every day uh, to be a broadcaster, which I think is, is really exciting. Um, so, Phil, obviously, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Are there any kind of exciting projects coming up for, for Duqua that you can talk to us about today? Well, probably the most exciting is the launch of our first product, because up until now, the last 10 years, we've just been consultants, or not just consultants, we've been consultants and we've been happy doing it. But we're launching VideoSite, and that's an OTT platform specifically designed for African storytellers and content producers. And the way it came about is I spent several years trying to find just the right OTT platform for some of my clients so they could launch their own OTT services. And don't get me wrong, like for the top 20% of broadcasters in the market, they've got more platforms than they know what to do with, as long as they've got the money to pay for them. But what about the other 80%? I mean, some of these guys, their studios are a couple of DSLR cameras going into a PC-based vision mixer running software like OBS. And, and you know, they're never going to be able to pay those costs, but they, they're creating great content. 
So we figured if we can't find one, why don't we make one ourselves? We spent about 18 months building it. So rather than costing our clients to launch an OTT platform, we're underwriting it. And instead of our clients paying each month for the platform to operate, we're gonna pay for that as well. And we're, sh we're simply just gonna share the upside with them. So if they make money, we'll make money. And if they don't, they won't pay us anything. And the model, Neil, kind of goes back to that multi-track recording studio 20 odd years ago in Zambia. That was music, you know, and that gave artists the chance to turn their skills actually into a living just by letting them master their first album, which then they could sell. And I want to repeat that model for African video content producers so they can earn a living from their creativity. So unlike things like modical aggregator sites like YouTube, each of our clients will get their own OTT platform in their own brand with no competing content on it. Our first client runs a major music venue and is going to be offering live and on-demand African music concerts to a worldwide audience. So it's a change of direction from consultancy, but there was a gap in the yeah. market for a new business model. And hopefully that means an opportunity for video sites and for African content producers that want to launch their own OTT services without the risk or without the cost. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely brilliant. I think, like you're saying, there's so much potential out there. It's a shame that it doesn't get to embrace these new mediums and, and get through to customers in these ways, um, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, so, Phil, how can people get in touch with you and, and get in touch with Juqua if they want to inquire about anything that you've spoken about today? Juqua is a J-U-K-W-A dot com. Give us a shout. You'll find us happy to share ideas. And for sailing people with multiple sclerosis, let me just say again, msail, M-S-A-I-L.co.uk. So do pass it on. And thanks for the chance to promote both Juqua and msail on the podcast. No, of course, Phil. I think it's it's been a great chat. I, I feel almost enlightened having spoken to you today. Uh, you know, just to hear how much you've, <laughs> that you've obviously been through and, and uh, to get to the point now where you're still innovating, you're still pushing forward, uh, obviously with this African focus. Um, and, and trying to get the best for those guys, which I think is absolutely brilliant stuff. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you very much, Phil. Really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care.